Tonight, the message is simply entitled, The Women, Martha and Mary. Um, the Bible provides for us three accounts of Martha and Mary, the sisters of Lazarus, who Jesus raised from the dead. The first uh, is presented to us in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, uh, as Jesus comes to rest in their home. The second is when Lazarus is raised from the grave by Jesus in uh, John 11. And the third is at the supper made for Jesus in John 12. And the three accounts give us three important contrasts that reveal both bad and good qualities for our life service to Jesus. The first, we see the contrasting personalities of Martha and Mary. That will be the first thing that we'll see. Secondly, the contrasting faith of Martha and Mary. And thirdly, the contrasting worship of Martha and Mary. So we want to begin with the contrasting personalities of Martha and Mary here. Uh, chapter 10 of Luke, uh, verse 38 down to 42. As you can see, the scene takes place at Bethany. As we get into the text here, the village was called Bethany, um, house of dates uh, or house of misery. It can go one way or the other. If you know a second language or a third language, you know that a certain word can mean certain things. The context and the way it's used will dictate sometimes. The village is never mentioned in the Old Testament, but this is the first time it's mentioned in the New. And the village was on the road from Jericho to Jerusalem and was 15 stadias, Luke tells us, from Jerusalem, about two miles in Luke 11, 18. The journey is about half an hour walk from the Damascus Gate, some of you have gone to Israel with us, down the Kidron Valley, up the slopes of the Mount of Olives, over the top, and then down on the east side, down the southern shoulder of the uh, mount. Uh, Eusebius, one of the church fathers, records that it was uh, the place of Lazarus, and Jerome says it was two miles from Jerusalem. Um, the village was located on the southeast side of the Mount of Olives. Um, Jesus went often, uh, as we'll see. Uh, he was very close to this family. Now, here in verse 38 to 39, the house of the two sisters identified as a place of rest and love. Jesus enters a certain village, Bethany, it says, the beginning of verse 38, and the house was a place apart from the busy ministry of Jesus. As you know, the multitude were always around him and around him demanding. Not that Jesus disliked the crowds. It says that he looked upon the multitude and had compassion. One of them is Mark 6, 34. He has always had compassion. He was always there to meet their needs. Nothing could keep Jesus from the need of the people. He was there. The business of ministry is tiring. The man who is called does not get tired of the work. The man who is called does get tired in the work at times. It's not a contradiction. And again, if God calls you, then he anoints you to do the work. Um, in, in no way would anybody be sufficient in themselves for God to call them to do what he do, does through them through the years. 
the preparation of the sermons, the number of times they speak, the different places, the different things, and all of that, and the time that it's, it's only the Lord that doesn't. Anybody who attempts to do it on their own, then you'll come up with phrases to justify yourself, like psychological phrases like uh, burnout. No, no, no. Burnout is because you're doing things in the flesh, not through the power of the, the Spirit and the anointing of God. If God calls you, He enables you. You're human like anybody else. You will get tired at times, but never of the work or the service to the Lord. Notice in 38, Jesus was um, welcomed by this um, a certain woman named Martha um, into her house here. Hospitality is her specialty, as we'll see. It is her house. Hospitality is valuable by genuine kindness for those who enter and throughout the visit. Not just as a uh, as a greeting, but th that you feel comfortable wherever you go. When you don't feel comfortable in a house, you don't want to go there. It's, it's just not worth it. Hospitality is refreshing um, to the weary body as well as the soul. And hospitality is enjoyable with people you are comfortable with, people who you love, people that uh, enjoy your company and you as well as them. Now look at verse 39. Jesus was... Um, contemplated by Mary here, the sister of, uh, of Martha, as um, she sat at the feet of Jesus and, and heard his words here. The position is that of humility, the postures of a servant, and the preparation of a disciple. This is where we should be constantly, at the feet of Jesus, uh, never abandoning that position. It's so foundational. Um, in verse 40 to 42, notice the complaining of Martha reveal uh, their contrasting personalities here. Martha was distracted, it says, with much serving in verse 40. This personal trait can cause problems with loving service. This problem is not manifested till self surfaces the works of the flesh. See, our flesh can go along to a certain distance, and we can go this and that. But then, if it's the flesh, then it gets to a place where we draw that line. See, that's enough. This um, potential is sure to lead to self-exaltation if um, not rejected. Because, of course, you have to praise yourself, because others certainly won't. <laughs> now, notice um, there in verse 40, Martha arrogantly reproved the Lord Jesus. She was upset with the Lord and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? <laughs> Martha was blaming Jesus for catering to her sister's self selfishness from her perspective. From her perspective. And often we have a wrong perspective in certain things because we're looking from our selfish perspective. And of course, we usually blame others of our own sin, right? Usually the way it is. Notice Martha was accusing him of not uh, caring that she alone was serving. She told the Lord to command her sister to help her. And then in verse 41, Martha is then graciously reproved by Jesus. Aren't you glad that Jesus... He doesn't let you slide. He just says, uh-uh, I don't go. She's mildly reproved by Jesus by the tone of voice calling her name out twice. 
Martha, Martha. Every time you have the double, you know that someone's in trouble. <laughs> Almost giving to understand the self-centeredness of her complaint and petition. Just as a parent, you know, your child, you go, you just give them that look or you say their name, they go, they know. She's lovingly instructed by Jesus then in verse 42. Martha needed to know the one thing that is needful and needed at all times. The word but in verse 42 marks the sharp contrast between Martha and Mary. The one thing is in contrast to the many things Martha was worried and troubled about. The many things that had distracted her from the purest motive of service, love. Love for others instead of love for herself by calling attention to herself by confronting Jesus and criticizing her sister Mary. Notice in 42, Mary had chosen the good part. Mark that well. Which would not be taken away from her. The choice was a good choice. The good part. Sitting at the feet of Jesus to hear and learn from him. And of him. <clears throat> because when you do that first. Then when he sends you out to serve. You'll have the right perspective attitude. And you'll be empowered. And you'll depend upon his ability. Simple. The choice is to be one. Of top priority throughout life. The choice will not be denied. To anyone. Who chooses it. God doesn't force us. The Lord wants to spend time with you every day, <clears throat> as well as myself. Sometimes we have our own agenda. Sometimes we're too busy. And there's certain things. Sometimes you have a um, busy day or emergencies come up. But uh, as a disciple of Christ, you have to discipline your life to make sure you sit at the feet of Jesus first. No greater example of um, complementing contrast is the union of a man and a woman in marriage to bring about um, a completion in that union for the lifelong task. That partnership. One. Hopefully there are places where each of us can go where uh, we sense love and refreshing among the people of God. You know, as you come to church, uh, some of you may um, not have any believing families and you're... you're um, criticized for your faith in Christ or whatever it may be and the fresh of air is when you come here to the family of God and you're encouraged by others you're accepted by others and you're able to just you know be strengthened in everything and, and that's important that's important uh, Paul told the Romans that he was uh, uh, looking forward to being refreshed by them in his visit in Romans chapter 1 verse 11 and 12 um, Paul declared how much he had been refreshed by the fellowship of Epaphroditus in Philippians chapter 2, verse 25, as he came to him in prison. Too often, much of the service rendered to God is uh, ruined by being aware of what others are not doing, resulting in murmuring, complaining, and comparing, leading to the Elijah complex. I am the only one. No, you're not. And that's usually due to pride and self-love. What does it matter to me what you're doing for the Lord? Who am I to compare myself to you? Then I'm not wise. 
I am just to be concerned and occupied with sitting at the feet of Jesus to find out what I am supposed to do. And he takes care of the rest. The scriptures tell us that we are to do all things without complaining and disputing. Philippians 2.14 All will have to appear before the being of the seat of Christ to give an account of what was done in our bodies, good and evil. 2 Corinthians 5.10 The only thing God will reward is what was done out of the motivation of agape love. 1 Corinthians 4.5 as I always tell you, God's not impressed with how much you or I do or, or uh, what we do, but how and why we do it. If the motivation is agape love, then, then he will reward us for that. The possibility of a person receiving no reward is clear in 1 Corinthians three fourteen through 15. The, the loss of reward, wood, hair, stubble, silver, gold, precious stone. There's the contrast. Now, each of us must learn these important lessons of sitting at the Lord's feet, exercising self-denial to serve from the heart, or we will never please God. You know that um, some parents have children that never please them. They're just rebellious self-will. They're destructive. It happens. Okay? And that's a heartache for the parent. Unless our righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, we in no way will enter the kingdom of God, he says in Matthew 5.20. It is possible to do right things, but for all the wrong reasons, um, called eye service in Ephesians 6.6. 6, he tells that to the servants. Don't just serve your master with eye service when you see them around. You know, you, we've all been at jobs where, you know, as long as the boss is around, everybody works good, but the boss is gone, the supervisor, the horse around, right? Same thing. Any fellowship that fails to confront and make one accountable in their carnality is not true spiritual fellowship, but a disservice in Christ. We are to love the Lord, and therefore the reflection is to love each other. When you love someone, you want the best for them. So you deal truthfully with them. You warn them. You encourage them. You reprove them. And if need be, you rebuke them because faith for the wounds of a friend, deceit for the kiss of the enemy. As I've told you often, if, um, if, if, if you hang around people that are always complimenting you, um, get some real friends, someone that will confront you. Don't be around a bunch of yes people. Paul told the Thessalonians that they saw how um, he on the other, and the others conducted themselves as um, a nursing mother in uh, Thessalonians 2.7. I mean, they cared for the people. They gave the gospel then of themselves. They didn't hold back anything. Martha and Mary's personalities are complementary contrast if they are exercised in the spirit. The flesh makes them contrasting and destructive in that way. When God puts things together, you can have people of contrast, totally different, distinct. But if they're doing what God has called them and God puts them together, they become complementary parts that are going to edify the Lord as well as those people who they're serving. God's the only one that can do that. And that's through the gifts of the Spirit, Romans 12 and through Agape 11, 1 Corinthians 13. And um, they're all listed. 
So the contrasting personalities of Martha and Mary reveal a beautiful complement. Okay? Secondly comes the contrasting faith of Martha and Mary. We find this in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 11, verse 17 down to 44, um, the context is the death of Lazarus, uh, the first 16 verses of John 11. John's introductory commentary are some 60 years or so after the fact, verse 1 through 3. John is the last one to write his gospel as well as the book of Revelation, okay? He wrote around 95. Um, he, um, that's why many times his gospel has a commentary on it. He reflects back on it. Uh, verse 1 and 2, John identifies the three main persons of the story here, pointing out Mary with a special event, anointing the Lord, in verse 2. John indicated that um, the purpose of their message was to inform Jesus that Lazarus was severely sick. So they received this message in 2 and 3 there. Three times the word sick appears in the first three verses, yet it says the Lord loved him, phileo, an emotional, compatible love, in verse 3. Look at verse 4 through 6. Jesus responds to the message here. The words of Jesus are due to the fact that he knew all things. Verse 4. Nothing escaped him. He declared the sickness was not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may, gl may be glorified through it, being dead already uh, four days at that time. Most likely. And then he's still going to tarry. Notice the words of John are that nobody understands the actions of Jesus. In verse 5. Jesus loved Agapeo, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. The will of Jesus was to remain two more days in verse 6. And so from 7 down to verse 11, Jesus revealed his plan to his disciples. In 7 and 8, he told his disciples his desire to return to Judea again, and his disciples were astonished. Remember, the Jews had attempted to stone Jesus lately, meaning at the present time. So there was real imminent danger out in the public arena. In verse 9 and 10, he declared his will. Jesus tells them that his hour had not yet come to cease working and that he is the light of the world. In verse 11, he declared to his plans, um, the disciples, the plans to go to Lazarus to awaken him from his sleep. Jesus calls Lazarus our friend, revealing his relationship to him as well as theirs. There in verse 11. And then Jesus, from verse 12 to 16, was misunderstood by the disciples in view of the news they received and in view of what Jesus just said. His disciples thought that sleep would help Lazarus get well. And John reveals the misunderstanding of the disciples by his uh, commentary here. Of verse, uh, of verse 12 and 13, Jesus plainly in 14 to 15 says, that told them that Lazarus was dead, meaning 
openly or unreserved, declaring that he was glad he was not with Lazarus for their sake, in order that they believe. Now, I, I would have been as perplexed as they. <laughs> I mean, we have the benefit of this, and we go, oh, that stupid disciple. Yeah, but we, we, we'd be the same way. No different. Look at 16. Thomas declared to the disciple they should accompany Jesus even if it meant death. Now, we, we've studied uh, um, already Thomas, so we have a little insight into Thomas. Usually he's called doubting Thomas, right? But he wasn't doubting Thomas, wasn't he? He was the most courageous of all of them. Contrary to what is often said about Thomas, he was courageous in love and devoted to Jesus despite the danger. He said, let's go. The rest were saying, well, I don't know about this. <laughs> Interesting. Look at verse 17 down to 27. We have the, com the compromised faith of Martha here. Um, in 17 through 19, Jesus on his arrival at Bethany was informed that Lazarus was already dead. Now, he already knew that, but he's informed. And he had already been in the tomb for four days at Bethany, verse 17 and 18 says. And then in 19, the family was well known and loved for even some Jews came to comfort the sisters in their mourning. The reaction of Martha to the arrival of Jesus is given to us in verse 20 through 22. The character of the two sisters is consistent. Martha was impulsive and one who would always take the lead, while Mary was more calm and passive. Verse 20. We saw that also in Luke 10, 38 through 42. Martha went out to meet Jesus. Mary was sitting in the house. In verse 21, Martha declared her disappointment with Jesus. These are real people. This is real life. Even as she reproved the Lord for not have, having her help with the work. Martha yet declared her frail faith in him. Even at this point in verse 22. The proclamation of Jesus to Martha is interesting in verse 23 down to 27. In 23 and 24, he declared to her that her brother will rise again. And she acknowledged the Jewish hope of the future resurrection in the last days. Don't miss that. I know he'll live again. In the, no, 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 no. Look at 25 and 26. Jesus declared to her that he was the resurrection and the life. He corrects her bad, wrong theology. I am the resurrection and the life, and I am here now, and you don't have to wait for the future. Now, the raising of Lazarus we'll see is different than the ultimate resurrection. He's going to be brought back to life. He's not going to be brought back in a glorified body. There's a difference between when he brought people back from the dead. They occupied the same body, distinct from when we will be raised in our glorified body, okay? Big difference. He says that whoever believed in him, verse 25, though he or she may die physically, shall live again. And then in 26, he says that whoever lives and believes in him 
shall never die eternally. This is the fifth I am of the seven in the Gospel of John. Notice still in 26, he asked Martha straight out, do you believe this? <laughs> Martha proclaimed her strained but settled faith in him in 27. The word believe is in the perfect tense, literally, I have believed and will believe. The particulars are stated. It was a nice theological doctrinal belief about him. But she still doesn't understand or believe completely. Now, in John 11 here, verse 28 to 44, we have the confident faith of Mary. In 28 to 32, the reaction of Mary at the arrival of Jesus is given to us. Martha went to call Mary according to the words of Jesus secretly at the place Martha met him outside the town. Verse 28 and 30 tells us. In 31, the Jews saw her leave and though she was going to the tomb, they said she was going there to weep there. In 32, Mary, seeing Jesus, the missus, worshipped him. She fell at his feet, a position of worship before a superior, despite, listen to this, the circumstance. Despite the circumstance. Ladies and gentlemen, we will go through some difficult times in our lives. We will go through some very tragic times in our life. Times when your emotions will want to dictate your theology. Times when the circumstance and situation will want you to do, to respond, and to believe contrary to the scriptures. You must bring your thoughts into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You must remember what the word of God says. Ladies, this goes double for you. Because you are a more emotional human being than a man. We're completely different. Women have greater highs and greater lows. And often decisions are made on the emotions. And there's regret. It's not that you guys are weaker in terms of inferiority. It's that God wired you that way. And when you add the sinful nature of men and women, man, we play games with each other, right? So guys are always trying to get over on women. They say, well, I thought you said you loved me. And we play like little pouty kids to manipulate. And it works. But if you put on the mind of Christ, then ladies, you don't make your decisions based on emotions. You make them based on the obedience to your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because he's looking out that you might have the best. The best. She worships him. She used the same words as her sister. Notice that. But I believe in an affirming and sympathetic way, not as her sister, knowing her character. 
Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. It's different from saying, Lord, I, I, I know if you would have been here, my, my brother wouldn't have died. Same words. Two different messages. Notice she entrusted herself as when she sat at his feet in her sister's house back in Luke 10, 38 and 42. The situation, the circumstance, the emotion does not affect this woman because she has sat at the feet of Jesus. Okay? Nothing wrong with serving, but before you do that, you better sit at the feet of Jesus. The reaction of Jesus to Mary is given in 33 to 44. In 33 and th- to, um, to 44, and in 33 to 35, Jesus is, uh, is moved by what he sees here, what he saw. In 33, Mary's weeping was a loud wailing for the great loss. The Jews' weeping was hypocritical, professional mourners. The word groan means to snort like a horse and connotes anger. And the word trouble is a reflexive verb expressing agitation there in verse 33. The description is in his spirit. His human spirit, not the Holy Spirit. Notice in 34 and 35, the Lord asked where they have laid him. And he wept. His perfect humanity did not keep him from experiencing all the emotions that you and I feel. Yet, without sin. Don't miss that. Very important. The ability makes him a faithful high priest, as Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says. He is tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. He is a faithful high priest. He wept for three reasons from the internal evidence. Don't miss it. First, to reveal the reality of his humanity. Second, to reveal his grief over what sin had done. Third, to respond to the hypocrisy of the Jews. When you look around the world and you see the atrocities that man commits, the horrible shooting in that Jewish synagogue, one in San Bernardino or, or anywhere. All of this is the result of sin. People are always trying to blame God. Well, if there's a God, why is there evil in the world? Listen, this is the result of man's rebellion against God. God told Adam, the day you eat, you shall surely die. And when he ate, he died, first of all, spiritually immediately. And then the consequence of that spiritual death then entered in physical death. Literally says, in the day you eat, you will die and you shall die. The minute a baby is born, we celebrate their birth. They're dying. The first day of their death. And he's dying, dying, three years old, dying, dying, 10 years old, dying, dying, 20 years old, dying, dying, 50 years old, dying, dying, 79 years old, he finally dies. We're dying the minute you're born. But see, Adam didn't believe it. Wow. So all that we see around us is a result of sin, man's rebellion against God. But they always want to hang God out for it, right? Completely. Now, 
the word wept is different from the one Mary and the Jews use. It refers to shedding tears quietly. Literally, he burst into tears. The Jews were divided in their assessment of Jesus. Look at 36 and 37. Some acknowledged his love in 36. Some faulted him for not having done something for Lazarus as the blind man in chapter 9, verse 37. Jesus went to the sealed tomb now in 38 through 40. In 38, he again groaned in himself, demonstrating his pain and righteous anger. He commanded that the stone be removed, but Martha cautioned him, reminding the Lord that by now the stench had set in. In 40, Jesus reminds her of what he had told her. If you only believe, you would see the glory of God. Verse 40. Demonstrating that she did not understand when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Demonstrating that her theology was worthless without active faith. I can say whatever I want and believe, but if, I, if I'm not trusting completely on that in active faith, it does me no good. Martha was emotionally wrapped up and lauding her view of Jesus here. The reaction of Jesus was to thank the Father in verse 41 and 42. He did so as they moved the stone. Look at 41. He thanked the Father for having heard him past tense. The raising of Lazarus was settled way before the raising of Lazarus. <laughs> All right? He declared that the Father always heard him. Verse 42. He revealed the reason for saying this for the people that they may believe. God is in this. He's working in this for his glory to bring people to faith. In 43 through 44, the love of Jesus called Lazarus out of the grave. Jesus gave a loud imperative command to come forth. Lazarus, come forth. He called him by name, has been said, for if he would have just said, come forth, the whole graveyard would have come out. Very specific, just you, Lazarus. No one else. Lazarus came out bound hand and foot in 44 there with grave clothes. And his face was wrapped with the cloth. They must have freaked out people around, you know what I mean? Amazing. I would have. And then Jesus commanded them to let Lazarus go, loosen him. A beautiful type of our call to salvation, raising us in the life of the spirit. Once we were dead and trespassed in sins, bound by sin, blind to God, the things of God. A beautiful type of our being set free from those sins and bound up um, that kept us under, kept us from living. And God's graciousness over us, ladies and gentlemen. Never forget that. Gospel's real simple, real basic. Real simple. 
You remember Elijah's servant, Gehazi, when they were in the city of Dothan. Um, he saw the Syrian army all around them, and he feared for their lives. And he says, we are but dead men. And Elijah lifted his voice to the Lord, and he says, oh, Lord, open the servant's eyes. And God opened Gehazi's eyes and he saw all the hosts of God, the angels, cherubs and everything, all around. Those with us are more than those who are with them. Second Kings 6.17 The eyes to see what God has for your life as you walk with him, as you spend that time at his feet. As you understand and you know the word of God, you study, you meditate. You apply it to your life. You bring your thoughts captive. You put on that armor. You do good warfare. You deny yourself, pick up your cross, and you follow him. That's every day, ladies and gentlemen. Not when I feel good. Not when it's convenient. Every day. We must always remember that Jesus is all-knowing. He does not need to be informed about anything. And as difficult as the situation may be, we need to remember that nothing is impossible for Jesus. Hebrews 4.13. He knows all things. Nothing's impossible for him. We're to ask in faith without doubting, knowing the scriptures um, that tell us that the will of God is the most important. Even as James tells us and that a double-minded man will not receive anything. James one. 6 through 8. But we need to know that there are certain things that regardless if I believe God can do them or not, he will do them sovereignly. Sometimes he's just sovereign like that. Whether I believe or not, God will do something. In Scripture, we see sometimes he says your faith has made you whole and it's the faith of the individual. When the man was brought down from the roof and it was all tore up and his friends and four friends had brought him and let him down, Jesus said it was the faith of the four that let him down, not his. And then sometimes God says, I'm going to heal you and that's it. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> so the context is important, okay? God's not, he doesn't allow you to put him in a corner, okay? It's important. The greatest kind of faith is the one that entrusts self to Jesus in personal sufferings as the faithful creator, 1 Peter 4.19 says. Would the believer trust the Lord for those things? Knowing that he is uh, sufficient for all things, as 1 Corinthians 10.13 says. Knowing he has given us everything necessary for life and godliness, according to 2 Peter 1.3-4. Broken inside, but a tower of strength on the outside by the grace of God. Even as the martyrs of the old first early church. Um, they were not sufficient in themselves. They trusted Christ for that which they could not accomplish themselves as they faced the lions, as they were burned alive at the stake, as they were sewn in animal skins and thrown to wild dogs, as they would be tied to horses and split apart, skinned alive or whatever, Old Testament, New Testament, the persecution of God's people. All those things, ladies and gentlemen. We have a rich heritage. For whatever reason, God has not allowed persecution to ever touch the American church. But we certainly got a pretty singeing taste 
in the last 10 years. We got a little break right now. But very, very evident that things are changing in America. And so it's not a matter that I have to suffer. It's a matter that I should be prepared to suffer if God allows it. Is that clear? And to trust him for it and not myself. So this is the um, contrasting faith of Martha and Mary, uh, a difference to be marked. Third and last, we have John chapter 12, verse 1 through 8, the contrasting worship of Martha and Mary. In verse 1, the uh, supper took place, the last week of our Lord's ministry. John tells us it was the sixth day before the Passover, not that it took place on that day. Uh, Matthew and Mark tell us that it was on the second day before the Passover that the supper took place. You find that in Matthew 26, 2 and Mark 14, verse 1 and 3. The Passover is the one in which Jesus will be put to death, as you know. The day when Jesus arrived was most likely Friday evening before the Sabbath and the supper took place on Saturday evening after the Sabbath. Now, the supper was at Bethany, verse 1 tells us. Again, Bethany was the designation of Jesus coming from Jericho where he visited Zacchaeus. Remember in Luke 18, we get that to chapter 19. Bethany was a place where Lazarus had been raised from the dead. We just saw that. Bethany was a place from which Jesus had removed himself from the Jews as they sought to kill him. John eleven fifty three and 54 tell us. Bethany was a place where the one whom he loved lived Lazarus John eleven three. Bethany was where the supper took place at the house of Simon the leper Matthew twenty six six and Mark fourteen three. The supper was in honor of Jesus, verse two tells us, mark it well. The supper, without any doubt, was in gratitude of the raising of Lazarus. The sister of Lazarus, Martha, served. Notice in verse 2. Martha had learned to operate her gift without complaining and bringing attention to herself now. That's good. Martha learned to be worshiper of God by her loving service without comparing herself to others. Martha learned to enjoy her ministry and her gifts. What a difference. Notice still in two, the man Lazarus, who had been brought back to life, sat in the place of honor with Jesus at the table. In verse 3, the supper was interrupted by Mary. Mary anointed the feet of Jesus Matthew and Mark tells us she began at his head. Matthew 26, 7 and Mark 14, 3. You got to compare the Gospels. The amount was a pound, 12 ounces. The quality was unadulterated spinkner from India. Such is mentioned in the Song of Solomon. The Shunammite, while the king is at his table, my spinkner sends forth its fragrance. Song of Solomon chapter 1, verse 12. Very costly. The woman Mary here, notice, 
was declaring that there was nothing too valuable that could not be given to Jesus. Nothing. In verse 3, Mary wiped the feet of Jesus with her hair. The hair of a woman is declared to be her glory in 1 Corinthians eleven fifteen. The hair of a woman would never be let down in public for it was a sign of immorality and loose living. The woman Mary was placing the glory of the woman at his feet in adoration and worship of who he was. Still in three, notice Mary affected the atmosphere. The house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. The act was to be the customary duty of the lowest of slaves as the guest arrived. The responsibility would fall on the master of the house if he had no slave. Mary was declaring to Jesus both in deed and in act that she was one who worshipped him, her servant. Hmm. Notice the anointing by Mary should not be confused with one that is found in Luke when the prostitute washed the Lord's feet with her hair and wiped them with her, um, with her tears and wiped them with her hair. In Luke 7, 38, two different ones. They're always confused. Two distinct places. The house is that of Simon the Pharisee here. The event and message is entirely different. Don't confuse them. Now look at verse 4 through 8 here of John 12. The Lord defends the worship of Mary. The subtle disciple was Judas. Look at verse 4. He is one of the 12 disciples. As you know, he was the one who would betray Jesus. And he was the one who ate walked and talked with Jesus three and a half years. He was present at the miracles with Jesus. He was sent out two by two, so he had to have done miracles, cast out demons. You ever think about that? Hmm. Look at verse 5. The seeming concern appeared honorable at first. The tone of his voice can only be guessed at, but knowing the context and the atmosphere, it probably was in admonishment and indignation in order to appear sensitive. It's an act. The presence of many people would cause them to think how spiritual he was when he spoke up. The amount declared would cause others to think and consider the waste $300 one year's wages the denarios on one day's wages nearly a year's wages a lot of money the concern for the poor would bring him favor in the eyes of some even implying that he was more sensitive and caring than Jesus. Because Jesus hasn't said anything. Wow. Sometimes people ask me questions. They say, you know, well, well why would Jesus do that? I don't know. And, and the attitude, 
it's very evident that they, they think they, they would have done it different and Jesus should have done it like they did because they're better than Jesus. It's amazing to me. Judas, like many, didn't like to share the center stage but liked to be the stage. <laughs> and um, Judas liked people they like to rob people in the true work of God by questioning it and bringing opposition to it, bringing suspicion. Oh, you're going to their house. Oh, what's wrong with that? You know how we are. Fungus among us. It's just in there. Okay? Look at verse 6. The simple comment to reveal his dishonesty. John tells us he did not care for the poor. Cat's out of the bag. John declared that he did, uh, did what he did due to the fact that he was a thief. Verse 6, and still in 6, John reveals that Judas was the treasure and that he not only carried the box, but he stole from it. The old King James pilfered. Five-finger discount. Gone. I haven't used that term in years. <laughs> Look at seven and eight. The sensitive command of Jesus rebuked Judas. Jesus commanded that Mary be left alone. Verse seven. Jesus commanded Mary for what she had commended her for what she had done. Her deed was for the keeping of his burial. Wow. What a sensitive woman here, servant. In the midst of all this chaos, all this stuff that's going on. His burial. Jesus commended Mary for her priorities. The poor were not the priority at that moment. Seeing they will always be with man, but not himself. Now Rick Warren has said that he's going to get rid of poverty. He has his, his plan for that. Does he not read the Bible? Jesus says, the poor you have with you always. So, he, he's greater than Jesus now. It's amazing what people say. They call themselves Christians. Pastors. Wow. But surely I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Matthew 26, 13 says. Every time the gospel is taught, every time the gospel is preached, this woman comes up. <laughs> wow. Many years ago, Thomas K. Beecher once substituted for his famous brother, Henry Beecher, at the Plymouth Church in Brooklyn, New York. And many curiosity of seekers uh, had um, come to hear the renowned Henry Beecher speak. Therefore, then Thomas Beecher appeared in the pulpit instead. One, uh, when people got up and started towards the door, seeing that then that they were disappointed because he was substituting for his brother. Thomas raised his hand for silence and announced, quote, 
all those who came here this morning to worship Henry Ward Beecher may withdraw from the church. All who came to worship God may remain. I love it. People are bad and stupid. What happens to us after God saves us? We don't stay passionate in love with the Lord. We don't stay at his feet. We forget so quickly of what he has forgiven us for. All he has done. And yet we deserve absolutely nothing, ladies and gentlemen. Absolutely nothing. Oh. Does Jesus see that you worship him through and in your service? Or does he see through it? Do you express your gratitude to Jesus as you sit at his feet? Or is it only when you are at church or before people? Do you take what is the best and give it to Jesus? Or is he constantly getting your leftovers? Hmm. Do you think that worship is confined to singing and prayer? No, it's manifested in the heart. My hands can be lifted and the angels throw up. God is interested in my heart. Does he have my heart? Does he have my entire life? Hmm. This is the contrasting worship of Martha and Mary. A common worship of Jesus. Amazing ladies. These three different accounts have given us then these very important contrasts that reveal to us both bad and good qualities of, for our service and uh, life to the Lord. We're to study, to show ourselves approved. Study these individuals, not criticize them, but to learn from them. The contrasting personalities of Martha and Mary reveal a beautiful compliment. Contrasting faith of Martha and Mary reveal a difference to be learned. And the contrasting worship of Martha and Mary reveal a common worship of Jesus. The Lord is so gracious to us, ladies and gentlemen. And we should just be so thankful every day of our life. Every time you get up in the morning and he's giving you breath to worship him. Every time you're ready to turn in tonight that you thank him for the strength and wisdom he's giving you throughout the day. Our worship of Jesus should never cease, ever. Lord, we worship you. We thank you for your word and your goodness, your love for us, Lord. We pray for those who are listening here and those over the internet, not in the world, Lord, that you would speak to their hearts. If someone doesn't know you, Lord, they would call on your name, that your Holy Spirit would allow them to be illuminated, convicted of their sin, to see their need of you to be forgiven, Lord. So I lift them to you. If you're here, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and the Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. Maybe you're out there on the internet or the whole world, somewhere out there. If God has spoken to you 
And the Holy Spirit allow you to see that Jesus Christ as God who became man, died for your sins, buried, and three days afterwards rose from the dead, then you can call upon him and be saved. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you shall be saved. Very clear. If this is your desire, this is a simple prayer of repentance. Your prayer to the Lord, not to us. And he's going to forgive you right now and make you his child. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.